We've managed to do it uh, with, with very little uh, obstruction on trade. I understand the frustration in the fishing industry. It's not what they expected. Criticizing the unpreparedness of either the government or the European Union customs officials in terms of uh, getting everything up and running is a little bit unfair. It was in doubt right up to the last minute, but on Christmas Eve, the EU and Britain clinched a free trade deal for the post-Brexit era. Now, at least in the UK, there are some hard realities to deal with and plenty of shouts of betrayal. My guest this week from Aberdeen in Scotland is Andrew Bowie, Conservative MP and Vice Chairman of the Conservative Party. Why is Boris Johnson so economical with the truth? And why did he break so many promises? Andrew Bowie, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you very much. Very pleasure to be here. I guess you can argue about whether Britain's 11th hour free trade deal with the EU is good or bad, but whatever it is, why did the Prime Minister have to lie about it? I'm thinking about his flat-out denial that there were non-tariff barriers associated with the deal. Well, I don't think that using uh, phrases like lies in any way helpful. I mean, what the Prime Minister was trying to explain is that this was a, a good deal for Britain, a good deal for the EU, and the tariff barriers that were uh, in place were uh, far less of a, an obstruction than would have been the case if we hadn't got a deal. And, and all the, the scaremongering and the, the stories about the queues at Dover and the queues at Calais and the holdups have come as not. And uh, we are proceeding in a relationship with the European Union that we want to see uh, flourish uh, for trade, for business, and for the peoples of both of our uh, both of our unions. And I think yes, but that you this, you this you, deal you gloss over a very good basis for that to move forward. If I may say, you gloss over the fact that what he said, which was on Christmas Eve, there will be no palisade of tariffs and no non-tariff barriers. No non-tariff barriers. Time to admit, isn't it, that that simply wasn't true. No, I wouldn't agree with that at all. There, there, there are, of course, uh, tariff barriers, but the prime minister but was making clear. That's not what he said. That's not what yeah, well, he, he said. said were, well, he said so, there so no either he didn't, either either he didn't know, or he was, wasn't telling the truth. Which is it? I mean, either he didn't know, or he wasn't telling the truth. Which was it? And the prime, the prime minister has been absolutely clear all the way along. He was determined to get a deal that worked for the United Kingdom and the European Union. We got that deal. It's a deal that's good for business and provides a very good uh, starting point for, uh, for, for, for the relationship between. The European Union and the newly independent and sovereign United Kingdom uh, to flourish. And the tariff barriers, the tariffs that are in place, are not insurmountable. That is what the Prime Minister was trying to say when he said there is no palisade of, 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 of tariffs. It means they are surmountable. We're working with business to overcome the small hurdles, the teething problems that some of them might be having at the minute, um, so that we can move on uh, into this new era of friendship and cooperation between the EU and the UK. Well, I hate to nitpick, but he said there will be no palisade of tariffs and no non-tariff barriers. And we now have what retailers are calling the biggest imposition of red tape in 50 years. And the UK tax authorities have estimated that the cost of that for British companies will be around £7 billion annually. So to say that there will be no non-tariff barriers, I'm sorry to keep going on about this, but I think the truth matters in politics. What it... What, what does it say about a government that leaves a false statement on its website, especially when it's known to everyone that it is false? It shows a degree of contempt for the British public, doesn't it? 
Uh, I think that's absolutely nonsense. I mean, the Prime Minister and the British government absolutely show uh, nothing at all like contempt of British politics. We treat them with a great deal of respect, and, and we, we trust that they understand that the deal that we've got is a deal that's good for business, good for trade. And, and yes, there are going to be teething problems, and yes, there is red tape at the minute, and we're working very closely with business, and by the way, with the customs uh, organisations on the other side of the channel within the European Union to, to make sure that these uh, obstructions, such as they are, are not in place for very long, and that the teething problems are... Uh, worked out, the, the wrinkles are ironed out, and we're able to continue uh, freely and as smoothly trading with the European Union as we were before we left. Well, let's talk about um, some of the teething problems, as you call them, a bit later. But the fact is that uh, the government has been less than candid over much of the Brexit process, hasn't it? Let's take the Northern Ireland Protocol in October 2019, which mandated checks on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland because Northern Ireland is remaining inside the EU single market for goods. Two months later, Mr Johnson insisted there'd be no checks. Why was that? Again, ignorance or dishonesty? No, it was neither. The prime, we, were, we were determined to make sure that when the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland left the European Union, we did so as one, and that's what we've done, uh, whilst allowing the Northern Ireland uh, to have the best of both worlds, avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland. I think you'll agree that was the last thing that anybody wanted. And so the uh, compromise that we came to was such that Northern Ireland would remain within the EU customs union. Of course, that's going to involve some uh, elements of checks on trade between uh, the island of Great Britain and uh, Northern Ireland. Yes, but, but those, that's not uh, what he said. He denied it. What, what Mr Johnson actually said was there's no question of there being checks on goods between Northern Ireland and Great Britain or Great Britain in Northern Ireland. And that was simply untrue, wasn't it? No, I wouldn't say it was untrue. I think that oh, was what we sake, were... For heaven's sake. I, of course it's untrue. It's, it doesn't accord with the facts. It's not untrue. That's, that's, that's this is sophistry. We in... This is sophistry, Mr Bowie. I, I wouldn't you know, say it was software. I think what we what we've achieved has been, was was something which most people thought was unachievable. Uh, nobody believed. I'm not asking uh, about that. I'm asking about truth. We were able to leave the transition period as a whole, with Northern Ireland remaining as a part of the UK uh, single market and the EU customs union, without a hard border on the island of Ireland, with trade uh, flowing just about as freely as it was before we left uh, the European Union. I think that's a great success for the British government and indeed for the European Union, who compromised as well, and we came to an agreement that allowed the, the UK as one to leave and to respect the jurisdiction of the Republic of Ireland over goods uh, on that island. I, I understand that you don't want to talk about the issue of truth and you'd much rather talk about other aspects of this deal. But um, look what happens. Look at the US. Look at what happens when leaders no longer bother to distinguish between fact and fiction. It can lead to massive social dislocation. Aren't you worried about that here in Britain? Well, I think comparing the situation in the United Kingdom with the situation in the United States, we might be getting a bit beyond ourselves. I mean, I think that there's a well, huge difference Well, it's because of between... the lying, isn't it? It's because of the lying that's gone on and Trump's refusal to accept the truth. And that, and that of large numbers of his party as well. I... I think there's a huge difference between trying to explain the complexities of a, a trade agreement between the United Kingdom and the European Union and accepting the results of free, fair and open uh, democratic election, which is what we've seen in the United States of America. And I think I speak for just about everybody uh, in the Conservative Party and the government when I say we are looking forward to this Wednesday and seeing Joe Biden uh, assume the presidency of the United States. We can put to bed this era of, uh, of lies, deceit and falsification of an open democratic process in the United States of America.
Fact is, um, Mr. Bowie, that a lot of people who trusted Mr. Johnson have been badly let down, haven't they? The Democratic Unionist Party in Northern Ireland said they were promised they'd be treated just like anywhere else in the UK, and they weren't. A year well, ago... They was, no, I and mean, a year been. ago... The, 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 can the, can, the, I, can the, I just finish the question? Can I just finish the question? A yes, year ago, Mr. Johnson told Ulster Unionists that no British Conservative Prime Minister could or should sign up to any Brexit deal that damaged the fabric of the Union with regulatory checks and even customs controls between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And yet that's exactly what the Northern Ireland Protocol did, isn't it? Fact. As part of the single market, Northern Ireland has to follow strict EU regulations on food standards, plant and animal health. That's fact. And that's yes, exactly, that that's that, that, diametrically that. opposed to what Mr. Johnson promised them. Yes, but what uh, the yes, Prime Minister Yes, exactly. Did, yeah, diametrically yes, but, but, opposed. Uh, no, but what the Prime Minister did achieve, he achieved the United Kingdom leaving the European Union as one United Kingdom with the best of both worlds for Northern Ireland. And the alternative was to leave Northern Ireland in a position where with a hard border on the island of Ireland, or uh, we were almost in a situation where the Republic of Ireland would have controlled almost every aspect of trade uh, on the island of Ireland. So what you're you're telling me, you're telling me, yes, you're, you're telling me what he actually signed up to, but that wasn't what he said he was going to sign up to. That's my point. So when Mr. Johnson declared on December the 24th, we've taken back control of every jot and tittle, whatever that means, every jot and tittle of our regulations in a way that's complete and unfettered, that once again wasn't true, is it? Northern Ireland is very much fettered by its obligation to abide by the rules of the EU single market, at least for the next four years. Again, that's fact. Look, what we have managed to do, we have managed to leave the European Union as one United Kingdom. Northern Ireland alongside the rest of the United Kingdom of Great Britain, and, and of course, and Northern Ireland. And what we have achieved is something that most people thought was unachievable. We've managed to do it uh, with, with very little uh, obstruction on trade. We've managed to do it as one. We've had a hard border on, on the island of Ireland. And now we're moving forward with a, with a deal which allows us to, to, to create a new relationship of friendship and cooperation, something that we can build on as we move forward. This time a year ago, this time two years ago, people were, were questioning whether Brexit would even happen. The fact that we've got it across the line, the fact that we've now left, the fact that we've now left the transition period with as good a deal as we have for British business and, yes, businesses in Northern Ireland, who actually I think would have the best of both worlds, uh, is something I think that should be cheered and not something that I think we should be uh, critical uh, about. Do you think that enhances the reputation of the, the government and the prime minister when you just break a promise which you made to um, with the DUP in Northern Ireland and just brush over it? You think other countries don't notice that? I think what enhances the position uh, of the British government is, is, is a demonstration that it's able to achieve what we have achieved in peacefully uh, and with, uh, with, with a good intention leaving the European Union with this trade deal, something that which, as I keep saying, people only a year ago were saying was impossible. And the threat, and the threat to walk away from the Northern Ireland deal and breach international law in the process not only produced outrage in Britain and Europe, but also in the US, where you talk about uh, the need for a US trade deal and uh, getting together with the new Biden administration, it hasn't exactly enhanced Mr. Johnson's reputation with that incoming administration, has it? Well, well look, what, what that threat achieved was the result of our getting uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol agreed and the uh, eventual deal uh, with the European Union uh, uh, signed So you off. support so that threat, do you? 
you, you think that's what a you think that's what a respectable country does. You think that's what a respectable country does. The threat no longer stands because the deal has no longer been done. I supported the government all the way through in its position in negotiating and its uh, and its tactics and trying to get a deal that works for ourselves and the European Union. And what we were uh, talking about was something which other countries in the world have done on numerous occasions. Of course, it sat uncomfortably with me to talk of uh, breaking international law, but we, we very much hoped it wouldn't come to that, and, and it hasn't. We managed to uh, uh, come to an agreement, come to a deal, which I think is good for everybody concerned. Yes, and so shoddy was it that the government's chief law officer had to resign in protest. Um, well, no, he lived, because, he resigned because, at the idea because he said he, you know, because this, he no, said no, this no, isn't the, the kind of thing that a law-abiding country does, and it isn't, is it? Yeah. Who, who's going to who's going to sign an agreement with Britain after this, really? Well, the well the European Union did. Yeah, yeah, but after that, they got well, what they wanted out of the deal. Uh, look, the, the government was, was was playing hardball, as many countries do when they're negotiating complex international agreements. And, and, and indeed, Germany has done uh, on occasion in the past. The chief law officer resigned on principle. And of course, I respect that, the idea that Britain would uh, break international law. However, it has not come to that, uh, which is a very good thing in my eyes. A deal was done. And now I think we're in a very good position to move forward. And as I say, uh, build on uh, a relationship, a longstanding relationship between allies and friends as we move forward and the, and the shared objectives that we have uh, between ourselves and the European Union, promoting democracy, promoting the rule of law, combating climate change, championing free trade, all the things that we share with the European Union, that this deal will allow us to continue to work with them. To achieve. Let's talk about those teething problems which you mentioned. Do those include empty shelves in some of the supermarkets in Northern Ireland, which the government described as teething problems? That hasn't done anything to pacify the Democratic Unionist Party. Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, the leader at Westminster, said the Northern Ireland Protocol had ruined trade in Northern Ireland. It was an insult to our intelligence to talk of a teething problem. His colleague Ian Paisley said the province had been screwed over by Mr Johnson. This was another part of the deal that wasn't properly thought out, wasn't it? Well, look, these are teething problems. The government is working very closely with the uh, the, the hauliers and uh, businesses that are seeking to transport goods across the Irish Sea into Northern Ireland to make sure that the, the scenes that we saw in early January of empty shelves in supermarkets are not uh, repeated. There is no reason for them to be any uh, shortage of foodstuffs in Northern Ireland. And so uh, Michael Gove has said, Chancellor of the District of Lancaster, has said that he's engaging uh, closely with uh, the businesses concerned to ensure that these situations do not arise again. You say, uh, you say there's no reason. Game. You say there's no reason why there should be empty shelves, but there were plenty of warnings, not least from the National Audit Office back in November, when it slammed the government for shortage of customs brokers, unprepared border sites, failure to build enough capacity, and new customs software. You reap what you sow, don't you? Well, look, there are obviously teething problems. We are it's now more in a than situation that we've problems. never it's been a in failure before. To oh, plan sorry, plan 40 to 50 years. Sorry, I missed that question. It's a failure to plan properly. It's not a teething problem. It's a failure to plan well, properly. And you were warned about it. Well, I, I think what is clear is that we didn't know the situation uh, regarding a trade deal until uh, the very last minute. It was, the 20, it was Christmas Eve, uh, I believe, that we announced a deal uh, with uh, the European Union. So the fact that uh, people are criticising the unpreparedness of either the government or the European Union customs officials in terms of uh, getting everything up and running is a little bit unfair. There were, of You course, signed the Northern Ireland Protocol considerably earlier than Christmas Eve. We are aware that there are issues. 
in terms of uh, foodstuffs getting across the Irish Sea into Northern Ireland and what we none of us want to see ever again are empty shelves in supermarkets within the United Kingdom. So uh, we are very sure and certain that the uh, steps that we have taken since the early weeks of January to make sure that the uh, foodstuffs get to Northern Ireland uh, mean that we will not be seeing those scenes which nobody wants to see uh, happen in the near future. Mr Barry, it was staggering to read in Mr Johnson's Christmas Eve speech that his Brexit deal means certainty for business from financial services to our world-leading manufacturers. In fact, there's no certainty at all for Britain's financial services, is there? Because uh, there's almost nothing in the deal about them. And Mr Johnson himself regretted that, at least, didn't he? Said the deal had failed to meet his ambitions in that sector. So there's certainly no certainty there. In fact, the only certainty was came in the losses that hit the City of London on the first full day of trading this year. I think what the Prime Minister was saying on the 24th of December was that what this deal does is guarantee certainty for where we are heading as a United Kingdom and where our relationship will be with the European Union so that business can now uh, go on and plan for the next few years and indeed decades uh, as we move forward. That is what the Prime Minister was saying. And well, hardly encouraging right. signs, were they? Nearly six billion euros worth of EU share dealing shifted right out of London on that first day of trading and into other European capitals. The chief executive of Aki Exchange said, it's not big bang, it's bang and it's gone. The city has lost its European share business. That's a hefty cut in tax receipts for the government. And somehow that prediction didn't make it its way into the Brexiteers' Uh, prospectus did it before the referendum. Look, it. there are obviously areas of the deal that may, maybe we we might have uh, liked to have gone further, and we might may have liked to have seen financial services uh, included uh, in terms of the overall aspects of the deal. But what we achieved was what people nobody expected, hardly anybody anywhere expected us to be able to achieve. And the prime minister says we achieved certainty for business. That's exactly what we did. Businesses now know what our relationship with the continent of Europe will be for the next few years, and probably next few decades and that gives us a very good place to stop. Mr Barry they don't know they up. don't know because the EU hasn't accepted the equivalence between um, Britain's financial services and its own so you have no idea whether they're going to do that and perhaps the only certain thing is what uh, the office of budget well, responsibility can I can I just I finish can I just finish the yes. the office of budget responsibility says you're going to take a four percent hit to GDP over the next ten years. That's the only certainty that's coming well, up, isn't the, it? Well, I think the only certainty is that anybody making economic predictions at the minute is is bound to be uh, bound to be proven wrong in some respects. Indeed, I can't even remember the last time the OBR got a prediction that was in any way near uh, correct for the last ten years for the United Kingdom. But the, the fact is, if the European Union do not accept equivalents uh, for uh, the British financial. Uh, sector, then they would be cutting off their nose uh, to spite their face. The relationship between uh, the London Stock Exchange, Frankfurt and all the rest uh, is deep and enduring and will continue to be so. And I look forward to the European Union accepting that accepting equivalence is beneficial, not just to us, but, but to them as well. Well, it's good of you to tell them what's beneficial for them, but they may well have other ideas about it, as they have done throughout the negotiations. All this comes as a new study from the London School of Economics predicts British exports to the EU will nosedive by around a third over the next 10 years, with total UK trade falling by 13%. Those dire predictions are backed up by figures for last year, compiled by the Financial Times and released in December. They show that UK goods exports have lagged behind peer countries in 2020 in both the EU and other markets. Look, the, look we are working promised. very hard to build up our manufacturing 
sector and to increase exports from the United Kingdom. But these dire predictions uh, from the London School of Economics, from the Financial Times and others, were, these are the exactly the same people that were predicting dire consequences on the day that we left the European Union uh, last year. They were predicting the lights would go out and somehow Britain would become a pariah state moored in the North Sea. That's absolutely not the case. This year, we're demonstrating hosting uh, COP26, hosting uh, the G7, that we are a leading player on the world stage and we will continue to be. So working with our friends and allies in the European Union. Yes, of course, we want to export more. Yes, of course, we want to move ahead of Italy again and exporting to the United States of America. And should we be building more uh, British things uh, in the United Kingdom? Absolutely. And we should be selling them abroad. And but it's not, just, it's, not just it's not just predictions, Mr. Bowie. In the six months to October, US imports from the UK fell by almost 30%. That's almost twice the drop recorded by Germany and Spain. So there's clearly nervousness about trading with Britain at, at the moment, isn't there? Well, I hope that people, I hope that countries in the world and companies across the world overcome uh, that nervousness in the months ahead as they see uh, the relationship blossom between ourselves and the European Union. They see that there is nothing, that nothing has changed uh, within the United Kingdom in terms of our ambition to be an outward facing exporting free trading nation and that is exactly what we are going to be focusing on uh, as we move out of this uh, period of the pandemic and all the rest of it uh, over the next few months and years isn't it a fact though that having sovereignty is little more than a myth as former deputy prime minister michael heseltine said recently sovereign in charge control regained none of that creates a single job one pound's worth of investment or any rise in living standards that's what he said. He's right, isn't he? And that's what the figures already are showing. Well, look, there's, there's an argument about whether a country is sovereign or not. And there's an argument about how you develop the economy and create jobs. Uh, we can do both at the same time. Britain has achieved sovereignty. It's achieved independence uh, from the European Union. Now our focus is on building up our economy, recovering from coronavirus, creating jobs. And as the prime minister would say, leveling up across the United Kingdom. And that is very much where our focus is now. The two are not interlinked. Just because one has become sovereign does not mean that one is suddenly uh, going to succeed in every other uh, aspect. And but we, we, we are determined to. You didn't get your waters back. You got a 25% quota transfer over the next five years, far less than you originally demanded. And your fishermen are now accusing you, rightly, of betrayal, aren't they? Why? Because well, look, you made promises you I couldn't understand, keep. I, I understand, I understand the frustration. I represent a constituency in the North East Scotland. I represent, I understand very much the concerns in the fishing industry. And um, yes, we've got a 25% uh, quota uh, transfer over the next five years. That gives us the opportunity to build up our fishing industry so that in five years time, when we become an independent coastal state, taking our seat uh, at the table to negotiate access quotas and all the rest of it with the European Union, with Norway, with Iceland, that we will be doing that uh, on the same basis as all the others. So yes, I understand the frustration in the fishing industry. It's not what they expected on day one, but we have now the prospect in five years time of becoming an independent sovereign coastal state. And that is what we are working towards now, that we can build up our, our, our home fishing industry, be ready to reap the rewards of the sea of opportunity that it lies with us from 2025 onwards. It wasn't what they expected because it wasn't what you told them to expect. It was never going to happen that way, was it? Because some of that sovereignty that you won through leaving the European Union, you bargained away in the deal, didn't you? As you always do. 
with sovereignty. You bargain bits away. Sovereignty is bargained by Britain's membership of the WTO, the World Health Organization, NATO. It's not an absolute, is it, sovereignty? No, it's not. But what the British people voted for... But it was sold as an absolute. It was sold as an absolute. What the British people voted for in June 2016 was to uh, have control over their borders and their laws and where British uh, money, uh, British taxpayers' money was indeed being spent. And that is what we have achieved through leaving the European Union and leaving the transition agreement with uh, this deal. And in five years' time, British fishermen will have control over uh, more stocks of fish than they have ever had since we first joined the European community as it was in the 1970s. It was only then, by the way, that the European Union even created the common fisheries policy. So yes, we are going to have to bide our time and be patient for the next five years. But what that does do is allow us to invest over a hundred million pounds in building up our fishing industry so that it can reap the rewards when the day comes that we take our seat as an independent, uh, uh, outward looking coastal state uh, in the negotiations with the European Union Norway. Well, your clients and your businesses aren't buying that. The National Federation of Fishermen's Organisations told Mr Johnson recently, it would be much better if you, with humility and honesty, that word again, humility and honesty conceded that you tried but failed, rather than implying that you'd handed us the keys of our liberation when you haven't. So there's a long way to go to convince your clients that you've actually got what you say you've got. Because they're not buying it now. They're not buying it now. There is a long way to go. I get that. And I get the frustration. I speak to them on a near daily basis. So I understand what we have to do to make sure that we regain the trust of fishermen and the fishing industry in the United Kingdom. But uh, it's a far better thing that we have got this deal across the line so that we're still able to trade and sell Scottish and British fish uh, in the European Union than would otherwise be the case. 25% Port transfer, by the way, far above what the EU were initially asking for and full control in five years' time, given we have been a member of this common fisheries policy, which has, some people say, uh, ruined uh, the British fishing industry over the last 40 years, I think All isn't right. too small a price to pay, and we will reap okay. benefits in a few years' time. All right, Andrew Bowie, it's been great having you on Conflict Zone. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.